people know about Rosa Parks, people know about Martin Luther King, and they should. And they know that it's the Montgomery bus boycott um, that ignited a certain kind of Southern civil rights movement. Eula Taylor is a professor in the Department of African American Studies at UC Berkeley, where she's been on the faculty since 1992. In one of her classes, she teaches her students about the 1955 citywide bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama. So I have them read this book written by Joanne Robinson, who was the main organizer or one of the main organizers of the Montgomery bus boycott. And I introduced them to a group of women called the Women's Political Council. In Robinson's 1987 memoir called The Montgomery Bus Boycott and the Women Who Started It, Robinson writes about how it was actually a group of women, the Women's Political Council, of which she was president, that made possible the 382-day bus boycott that changed the course of the civil rights movement in the United States. This is Fiat Vox, a Berkeley News podcast. I'm Anne Bryce. The bus boycott was officially called on December 5, 1955, four days after Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white passenger. Martin Luther King Jr. emerged as the public-facing leader of the boycott. That was the day that we started a bus protest which literally electrified the nation. And that was the day when we decided that we were not going to take segregated buses any longer. But the main reason the boycott was successful, says Taylor, was because of the organizing effort by the Women's Political Council. And they kept a critique of all of the horrific ways that black people were forced to ride the bus. They wrote letters to the bus company. They wrote letters to the mayor, basically saying that there needed to be a more humane way of riding the bus. So we're talking about at least 200 plus black women um, in the Women's Political Council in Montgomery, Alabama. And these were quote-unquote professional women. Many of them worked at the historically black colleges. Many of them were local teachers. Um, Many of them had been formally educated at historically black colleges. Yes, Martin Luther King Jr. was an amazing, charismatic leader for all of us. But It was because of the Women's Political Council that provided an anchor and grounding for him to even come into prominence. Taylor says that in almost every political movement in history, there have been women in the background doing the work that has positioned them outside of the limelight. And that there were different reasons for this throughout time. So, for example, during the 1960s, when we have a certain kind of call for a a, a black nationalist representation of manhood and womanhood, it was during this time period that a lot of these organizations are reacting to a Moynihan report that said slavery, you know, emasculated black men and created a quote, quote, mannish woman. The 1965 Moynihan Report, officially called The Negro Family, The Case for National Action, was a controversial report written by Assistant Secretary of Labor Daniel Patrick Moynihan and his staff as a way to persuade White House officials that civil rights legislation alone would not produce racial equality. It concluded that the, quote, deterioration of the fabric of Negro society 
is the deterioration of the Negro family, unquote, and argued that the matriarchal structure of black culture weakened the ability of black men to function as authority figures. And so this whole idea that black men and women have been taken outside of their uh, gender-specific norms because of slavery, and now we're going to reverse that by um, centering black manhood. Um, And we see this largely with black men being the visual leadership of movements. Um, Eventually, this is going to crack when we see um, black women resisting certain kind of masculine notions of leadership and, and, and patriarchy. But it does help to understand, it helps us to understand why um, certain organizations were committed to patriarchal ideas about leadership and how in many ways it's in conversation with the Moynihan Report. It's in conversation with discussions on the crisis of the black family. And and so all of these things shape how there is a certain kind of masculine and feminine leadership. Ella Baker was one woman who resisted patriarchal notions of leadership. A civil rights and human rights activist whose career spanned more than five decades, Baker was among the founders of Martin Luther King Jr.'s Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and she helped launch the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Here she is speaking at a 1974 Solidarity Rally in Puerto Rico. Brothers and sisters in the struggle for human dignity and freedom, I am here to represent the struggle that has gone on for 300 or more years. Taylor says that Baker advocated for group leadership instead of relying on just one person to carry an entire cause. And she basically was an amazing activist who understood that if you put all of your hopes on a messiah, when that person is gone, then what happens to the movement? So she really, really, really hammered home the importance of group-centered leadership, that you have to see the leader in yourself, in your group, as opposed to relying on anybody outside of yourself. I had to learn that hitting back with my fist one individual was not enough. It takes organization. It takes dedication. It takes the willingness to stand by and do what has to be done when it has to be done. It has to. I think it's important to understand that there are different ways of being a leader. And the Women's Political Council basically functioned as um, the anchor of the Montgomery bus boycott. So even though those women are not were not in the limelight. They were engaging in a form of leadership. But because we live in a country and a culture where we oftentimes identify leadership as a talking head, um, we don't understand all of the thinking that goes behind a lot of the ideas that the talking head is even articulating. Taylor says she encourages her students to volunteer to create patterns of engagement that will follow them throughout their lives. They have the skill set and, the, and a critical uh, toolkit to 
address all of these multiple crises that are happening in America. Homelessness, gentrification, drug addiction, racism, the neoliberal crisis or the neoliberal university. This is what we deal with. They can chip away at the crisis. It may not happen overnight, but they have to understand that they have a skill set, that they have um, access to resources that they may not even imagine. I think it's important to create a pattern to engage in some capacity to feel like you're doing something to create the world that you want to live in, that you want your children to live in and your grandchildren to live in. The time is now, says Taylor. We can't wait for anyone else to do it for us. For Berkeley News, I'm Ann Bryce. You can subscribe to this podcast, Fiat Vox, spelled F-I-A-T-V-O-X, and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. And check out our other podcast, Berkeley Talks, that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can find all of our podcast episodes on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts.